Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started with Andrew. How are you, Andrew? Hey, doing great. Hello, kids. Good to be back. Yeah, and uh, we're we're not doing a sermon today. So even though this is Sunday Sermon, <laughs> this is going to be more like a Sunday conversation. Um. And we're going to talk about a subject that I just wanted to talk about. I didn't have time to really hunt down a sermon on this. Uh, and I, I just wanted to talk about it a little bit more freeform anyway. Uh, and the subject is, if I read what's on the screen, what can we know about God and how? And I want to explore what we can know about God theoretically, theologically, philosophically, if there's a God, what could one know with with a high degree of certainty about a God, and how would we know it? And uh, in, inherent in this is, what do Christians claim to know about God? And, you know, how do they know what they claim to know about God? Uh, and that's really where my write-up focuses, but we're going we're, we're gonna to talk this thing up. And... Um, so, Andrew, you did get the write-up. What uh, what I'm doing on screen, as opposed to showing uh, people our images, because that's a bad death. If you want a good death, jump off a high place. Uh, if you want a bad death, just look at Andrew and I's faces for an hour. Um, I'm going to spare you. <laughs> I can take that long, do you? That's <laughs> <laughs> being optimistic, my friend. Uh, so, yeah, so what we're going to do instead is we're going to put up my notes. And here's the thing. I haven't time, had time to edit my notes. <laughs> my write-up is raw. Um, this is what writing looks like unedited. Sorry, not sorry. This is this is what we got. Uh, I'll edit it by the time I throw it on the board, maybe. <laughs> Who cares? But uh, in the YouTube video, what I'm going to do is just kind of scroll through it as we go. Uh, because you don't get a write-up on YouTube, and a lot of people only see this on YouTube, so you can read the write-up as we go through it, uh, and we'll see how uh, that goes. Uh, if I move through something a little fast, you can always use pause, rewind, that sort of thing, and, and read it. Unedit it once again. Sorry about that. Um, but there it is. Andrew, we haven't spoken in a little while. How you doing? You know, uh, things are going well. I think you know. Um, some of your folks won't that we started a new business um, at the beginning of the spring this year and uh, and things going well there without going into the nasty details about what the business is and all that sort well, of thing. I was, I was just going to ask you, how was the dungeon going? But that's fine. Uh, you didn't want to bring it up. Well, you sort of uh, alluded to it earlier. You were talking about bad deaths, you know. And, well, and, and let me tell you. <laughs> let me tell you that the weekend I spent chained to that wall was uh, very memorable. <laughs> very memorable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, don't, don't want to bore the, the listeners. Only... Only a handful of them would be interested in, in what we're doing, but but it is going well, and I appreciate you asking. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, I just knocked my microphone over a bit, so 
there'll be a little bit of noisy noise in this. And, and there is, that's our business. We come around and pick up microphones. Uh, look, man, for $19 a month, you can be on the microphone pickup service. So why am I paying 45 <laughs> because you have subscribed to the zoom professional plan okay (laughs) all right fine print people (laughs) don't just click through it (laughs) so all right so um look yeah we've we've got a limited amount of time and we've got a big topic i think we'll be able to cover it all but if we don't we'll just swing by and cover more of it some other time um So, you know, I have conversations with Christians all the time, and sometimes it's good to just kind of tear myself away from the, the regular sermon format. And, um, you know, I forgot to hit record and logic. That's okay. I've got a backup. Don't worry about it. Um, so, you know, we get, we get to talking, we talk about sermons, we talk about things that, um, you know, just come up naturally on the board and you know it doesn't give you a lot of time to really reflect on the conversations when you when you're doing a show every week uh and it's just kind of run and run and run and you don't get a chance to do all of the commenting that you wish you could do um and you know i'm sure that this happens to you you do a show it's a great show something that you put a lot of time into but i mean the next week is coming and you gotta you gotta forget that show and move on to your next prep. So in in this case, I wanted to, sorry, I'm still fiddling with the microphone. I wanted to, um, you know, just take a, a breath and uh, just contemplate some of the things that have been discussed on previous shows and previous conversations, a lot of conversation over on Skeptics and Seekers, uh, the forest board, uh, it's skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. Uh, log in your discuss account, discuss away. Uh, even Matt uh, popped in for a moment, which is uh, very nice. Uh, so anyway, we're not doing a sermon so that we can take uh, the time to reflect on a big topic and some things that have come up. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation. By the way, 100 episodes of hate. Uh, congratulations on that. We appreciate that. It was a, it was a good it was a good episode that had a. That had longtime returning guest Darren Lute that your listeners are familiar with, and your readers over at 4S uh, are familiar with. Also had Clint Haycock, who has um, sort of become a regular fixture around here. So uh, it was a good show. I had to step out uh, for a while. That that aforementioned business. Yeah, uh, but it was a, it was a good episode. Uh, and as always, Matt does a a fantastic job. Uh, keeping that boat afloat. So yeah, uh, I would have I would have been there, but I found out at the last minute that the state of Mississippi does not consider going home early to do a podcast uh, a legitimate absence. So right. However, if you if you had to go home early for lots of other ridiculous reasons, I'd be perfectly. Oh yeah, no, no, I <laughs> I've missed quite a bit of work in my short stay there. Uh, but, uh, you know, being honest and saying, I need to go home for a podcast, not a good idea. <laughs> so, well, that's another reason you can miss work in Mississippi. It's on the books that dishonesty is a reason. <laughs> it's a perfectly legit reason for missing work. Right. And, so. and by the way, if I, if it was a Christian podcast, of course I would have been, hey, oh, yeah. I, they would have let me off with pay. 
Um, well, right. It's, you know, they, they would all be worried about not, <laughs> about not letting you off with pay. <laughs> hey, he's got a note. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, folks, I work for the state of uh, Mississippi and uh, interesting job. I love it. Um, I've, I describe it when I'm off air as listening to podcasts, podcasts all day and doing a thing with a machine. <laughs> so <laughs> that's which was pretty much how his life was before he went to work for the state of Mississippi. Pretty much, except <laughs> the state of Mississippi wants you to show up from time to time uh, at the at the work site. So, yeah, uh, enough of that. Let's let's do this. Uh, we've been uh, noodling around about God for most of our lives. Almost all of our lives, in some capacity or other, you're you're most of a year older than me, but or is it just a few days older than me? Um, I think you're just a few days older than me now. I think. Well, no, you've got a, another. I don't see a, another guest out there, though. Yeah. No. 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 I just. I'm. Um. We've been talking about. Um religion for um a long time i've been i've been in uh, the church for almost all of my life and uh andrew you had a slightly different upbringing um but you have uh, i know that when you were younger even though you weren't so much involved with church your father was a, a churchman uh, mm, yeah. in in those days and his mom uh, my grandmother she was the pianist for her Methodist church her whole life. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's, it's a thing that, you know, where we come from, it's really hard to have that not permeate every aspect of your life. Uh, churches, churches, so much a part of the assumption in the South religion Christianity, to be specific, is part of the assumption of who you are as an identity. Um, you know, if if there is a conversation with you and a stranger, at some point, if the conversation, you know, just isn't, you know, a, a bad conversation where you're shouting and screaming at each other, a uh, God bless you and I'll, I'll pray for you is, is coming out <laughs> somewhere in that conversation. You know, five minutes, it's it's coming. Uh, at some point, um, you know, if the conversation goes a little longer, what, what church do you go to is coming. It's a part of what is assumed, uh, in, in the South. And it's very awkward to say, uh, yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm an atheist. Actually, that's something that you, no one ever says. I never say it. In fact, when people ask me things like that or, or greet me with a, Hey, God bless you. I say, God bless you too. And, uh, they say, I'll pray for you. Thanks. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even engage, uh, with that conversation. Andrew has a slightly different strategy than uh, I do. Well, I use the expecto patronum strategy. <laughs> so let's just say Andrew is somewhat more confrontational than I am. Hey, well, Okay, but I do I do live in a place where, uh, you know, some of it is just practically required, right? Um, I I live in a 
a part of this country um, where you have to stand your ground a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we both live kind of in the same part of the country. Uh, we do now. And, you know, we've, <laughs> we've just got a sewer separating us. Um, never mind. Uh, uh, never, never mind. We, we, we both we both were born in that sewer and grew up there. Um <laughs> And so we just ended up on either <laughs> different sides of the I didn't get my Ninja Turtle uniform either. I'm, I'm still <laughs> really upset about that. So that said, uh, a lot of assumptions, and this is this is what's going to actually lead us into the conversation. I should edit out this entire first part. I was wondering if part. that was going to happen. Yeah, no, it's going to get there. Um, <laughs> look, folks, Andrew and I uh, used to talk a lot. And now that we have actual responsibilities, we don't get a chance to talk uh, that much. And so... Uh, be glad that the conversation didn't wander more than it did. Um, so anyway, we're old men. This could be a size, <laughs> color, and frequency conversation if you're not. Gonna... Usually gets there at some point. <laughs> um, so we we made assumptions most of all about God, mm -hmm. about who God was, what kind of being He was, what He want it from us. And, and these assumptions about God, especially where we, where we come from and where we live now, are so ingrained into the fiber of, uh, of the culture. No one ever asks the kinds of questions that um, I'm asking today. Uh, and no one ever questions the kinds of assumptions that we're going to talk about today. And being online, you know, you see a few people who, a, a few Christians who are a little bit more aware because, you know, they've been online and they've encountered uh, atheists and they've encountered pushback. But even online, I see that a lot of the conversations with Christians, there are certain assumptions about God that they just assume are givens. And, oh. and their starting point is beyond those assumptions and i just want to i just want to snatch everyone back a little bit uh here because like i said i've been a lot of conversations lately that i haven't been able to really complete online and haven't been able to really think about fully um and i just want to i just want to revisit these assumptions so theoretically theologically philosophically what can we know about a god and how and let's compare that to what Christians claim to know about a God. Now, up front, just so just so you know, my thesis, my theme here, uh, my conclusion here, my closing statement here is we can't know jack about a God. If one exists, there's no way to know it. There's no way to, if we have, even if we knew he existed, there's no way to know anything else about him. Um, Ooh, I had a different answer. That's interesting. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So uh, I just I just want that that conclusion out there. It's not a bias. It's not like I haven't thought about this <laughs> a lot. Um, so I I almost said I, I I'm going to get my biases out there ahead of time, but that's not really a bias. It's a it's a conclusion after lots of years of thinking about uh, these these presuppositions. So the first thing that I, I think Christians would say that they know about a God is that God is. You know, God tells Moses uh, to tell Pharaoh, I am sent you. 
right? So God, you know, what the, the least helpful verse in the Bible, or yeah, it it does sound a little bit strange, uh, but just just trying to take as much out of it as I can. It's you know the first thing that God tells someone about Himself, or at least messages about Himself, is I am, I am here, I exist. I, I am the I am. I am existence itself. All right, so if, in fact, there is a God, it does strike me that we should know that he is. We should know that. And especially if it's a, a, a personal God who wants to have relationship with us, I would agree with the Christian that we should know that he exists. But where I disagree with the Christian is that it, we don't know. And and they claim to know. And I used to claim to right. know, but I really don't know. I never knew. I don't know now. Um, and I don't know how you would know if this God exists. So let's, let's start with there, uh, Andrew. I am, or God is. So this is... This is the opening and close for me. It's going to get boring from here. If, if well, you know, and if you're thinking, "Oh my God, it's already boring," well, sorry, it doesn't get better from here. Then, uh, so as far as I can tell, the only thing that I could know about a God, any God, would be the would be the kinds of things that are open to me to know about any human endeavor, right? So, so if you've got a God that claims to be spaceless, timeless, et cetera, et cetera, well, I can't know that in any real sense. That, and, and so if there was a God, how would I know that he existed? Well, I would have to use the kinds of tools that are open to me for the kinds of explorations that I am capable, that I am capable of. If I can't use the kinds of tools that I am capable of using to answer any other kind of question that I am capable of answering, then to tell me that there is a God is no different than telling me uh, that there are fair folk in your flower garden. Uh, fair folk. I just call those white people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, there, there are, there are dark elves and dark fairies and all of that. Uh, <laughs> are, are we really going to do that? Are, is that where are, are you, going? are you equating dark skin with evil? I mean, I'm just, just asking. Okay. I'm asking for a friend. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write the genre. I can okay. hardly, I can hardly be blamed for it. Okay, I like I, I like a good dark lord myself, but um, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Look, that's another conversation which we generally have when the mics are not on. <laughs> so, <laughs> Somehow this is off the rails already. Um, I didn't I didn't write the genre. I'm not responsible for it. I'm aware of it. Yeah, off the rails. You had me at hello. Um, oh come on. <laughs> so, so, seriously, I cannot know anything about a God that I couldn't know about any other area 
that I can reasonably explore. Okay. So I know that I don't know that God exists. Uh, let's just assume that he does exist. I don't know that he exists. Theologically, let's just start there because it's, you know, my favorite ca category. Uh, what does theology tell us about knowing that God exists? Well, if you, if you pick up Paul, he thinks that God's existence is self-evident through nature. Um, I know a lot of people who spend a, a lot of time looking up at the sky, some with telescopes, uh, looking at the night sky, looking at the stars and, you know, I use my stuff. phone for that, but okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know a lot of people who do that sort of thing and they don't come away with it saying, ah, God exists. Uh, I, I have spent some time enjoying nature, although I'm not an outdoor person, I'm a computer person. Come on. But, um, I've, I, I've done my share of camping. I've even camped in a rainforest, which was a really stupid idea. That's a really dumb idea. <laughs> that was that's one of my first camping trips. Put the rain fly over the tent, make sure your stakes are in the ground. No, we bottom. didn't do it. Look, um, it's my first, uh, second wife. I've had, I've. I'm not a professional at marriage, people. Um, so. <laughs> I don't know. It's a, you know, what's the difference between a, a novice and a professional? A novice tries something until he gets it right. A professional <laughs> tries something until he can't get it wrong. I, I, think you're, you're on, I think you're on track, man. They sound a lot like the same thing with that dis uh, description, but okay. Um, being a professional at marriage, <laughs> one of my, one of my, uh, uh, loves of my life, uh, and I, we went camping. It was our first camping trip and we're like, yeah, you know, camping sounds fun. We should do that. I mean, we got this, this van and, you know, we'll get a tent and there's a, a, a rainforest national park. That's, that's a nice drive away. We could do it. And we did. And you know what it did? It rained. It rained and we were not ready. We never heard of a rainproof tent. What the hell? Um, it was miserable. <laughs> you know, National Geographic, they never turn the camera around and show you what the cameraman's going through. <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they, they never sell a copy. Yeah. So I look, nature is, you know, it's one of those things that I have um, had an on again, off again relationship with. Um, and I have never, even as a Christian, looked at nature and thought, Yes, this confirms God. And and so I, I would just say that on its face, Paul is wrong. Now, I know that some Christians have a different experience. You know, they go somewhere, they go to uh, the big hole, otherwise known as Grand Canyon, uh, and they look down, they hurl, and then they say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, good for you. I've been, I've seen it, never, never had that. Uh, never had that response. You know, they look at Niagara Falls uh, and say, God, God is, uh, great. They go to the, the Himalayas. Um, God is, I, I have simply never had that experience of nature. And so I would say that if Paul is right about God being self-evident through nature, he's only right for some people, some percentage of the population. Uh, how about you? This is always a, this is a strange one for me. This um, 
the answer that I'm going to give is is going to sound uh, like I have two answers. So I agree with you uh, entirely that I never looked at a a stand of trees uh, or a waterfall or the ocean and saw God. And I look at lots of stands of trees. I'm near lots of waterfalls. I'm in the ocean uh, weeks out of the year now. And I don't see God. The closest I ever came to that kind of experience was actually uh, a church camp that you and I uh, both had something to do with. Can we say the name? Uh, or would it just be mean? Um, you know, I don't know if they survive today. I'll, I'll leave it to you whether you want to, to say the name. Backwoods Christian Camp. Uh, oh, of course. Of course. Lineville, Lyon, Alabama. Um, and I look, I mentioned I've, I've actually done several church camps um, since then. But um, that's the... You know, when Andrew and I were talking about uh, a church camp, we're usually talking about that one. And I will show you for its kind of camp, uh, which is a conservative Christian Church of Christ uh, camp. It was a very good camp. Uh, you know, good facilities. Um, there, there were people who you know knew the outdoors. They knew what they were doing. Uh, they were able to keep most kids alive. Um, I don't think they ever lost a kid. Yep. Stay away from that little picket fence up, up on the hill. <laughs> that said, you know, I drove the golf cart. Uh, I drove people around the golf cart. Yes, they let me drive. I and um, yep. I um, I also oversaw uh, the bow and arrow <laughs> shooting uh, blind man. Uh, here's archery. That's archery to the rest of the country. It, no, it's a bow and arrow shooting thing. Um <laughs> And um, here's here's another bit of irony. I'm a dead shot uh, with a bow and arrow. Uh, I don't care how far you put the target. Uh, for whatever reason, you know, I learned how to shoot early, and I think in the South everybody learns how to shoot something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, your first gun is at six, so you're gonna you're gonna learn how to shoot. <laughs> Something in the south. And I had a brother that was older than me. My my first gun was when he got his. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're you're going to learn to shoot. You're you're going to learn to be in the woods. It's it's yeah. just part of growing up southern. Yeah. So knocking out the middle of a, a target was was uh, pretty easy for me. But that camp, it was it was for its kind. And look, there are a lot of bad things that Andrew and I can say about it. A lot. Uh, mm -hmm. we're, we're not mm -hmm. going to, there's no, there's no need to, but I, I would say that for its kind, it's a good church camp and for church kids looking for church camps, uh, if it's still around, uh, I would, I would still recommend Backwoods Christian camp. Um, so, uh, good, good folks at the time. It's been such a long time though, since Andrew and I have had anything to do with it that we don't know, uh, the camp today. So you know, this is kind of an endorsement for if you've got a time machine right, uh, right. And, and you want to go back and visit it 20 years ago. Uh, great. So let, me, let me put a bow on this because it's important. Uh, I can I can hear the keyboard clicking already uh, for some of your listeners that participate over on the 
message boards. Um, so the experience that I had was a sense of uh, was a sense of real closeness uh, on the last night of camp. They get everybody together. Uh, it's dark. We're up in a uh, up in the volleyball pit, and sometimes they take down the net depending on how large the crowd is. We start singing church songs, and as as we sing these songs, we do this sort of uh, we do this sort of thing where we start in a spiral and we increase the uh, we increase the closure on this on this spiral until everyone is standing shoulder to shoulder in this in this giant circle, having having walked this spiral around the outer edge of the the volleyball pit and. Uh, and and increasing until we get closer and closer to the center, and we're all uh, we're all there together uh, in one tight huddle, singing these little songs. Um, that that was a nice experience. It was something I look forward to. It was something that at the at some of those times I thought, well, maybe this is what it means to experience God. Mm-hmm. That said. I have had this experience in other non-religious places. Yeah, and in fact, secular camps, uh, you can get the same kind of experience uh, as well. Uh, whether it's football camp or Boy Scout camp or um, whatever it is, there that you you get these experiences where you know there is a certain amount of emotional manipulation, and uh, you know you can you can set it up so that that's, toward the end true. of the camp. You know, people are feeling very emotional and close, and they have this kind of uh, uh, existential uh, experience. Um, and you know, people people come away from camps feeling changed, and that's true with any camp, and it should be that way. I mean, that's what that's part of what summer camps do. But if all you know are church camps, you think, oh, this is special, and uh, this must be God, but it's not. Yeah, that's right. Um, I I can I can reproduce this uh, <laughs> had I only known uh, as long ago as we were participating in that camp, right? Um, but I could have reproduced that experience um, had had the secret sauce been revealed uh, at that time. I could have reproduced that experience much more often uh, over the over the course of the years that I was a Christian. Uh, and, and so knowing the secret sauce now, uh, there, there's actually, there's actually two interesting effects. Uh, I'm able to appreciate quiet trail, uh, folks, that's the, that's what this is. We, we get everybody together. We, we do the, uh, we do this little thing where we participate in this spiral singing event and then we, we all go off to the cabins and, and you're not allowed to, uh, to speak until the next morning, right? Okay, so there's a secret sauce here. And had I known it, I could have had the experience more often in my life. But knowing it now, I can look back on a quiet trail and still appreciate it. And in some ways, appreciate it more uh, for what it was. Knowing, knowing what it takes to reproduce that experience uh, doesn't take away from the experience itself. Right. 
Right. And it, uh, even though this doesn't connect with nature, I was a, I was a worship leader from before I was 10. Uh, and one of the reasons is I was, I was a singer. I was a more talented singer when I was a kid than I, than I was when I grew up. But, um, you know, if you can sing in the South, in the church, especially a black church, uh, you're, you're in, um, you know, your musical talent goes a long ways in black churches. They, they cultivate it on purpose. And that's why just about every black singer who came from the South has their background in the church. Uh, just a little cultural note there, uh, for you. But I, I knew even before I was age 10, how to lead, how to produce and lead a worship service to an emotional culmination. Um, you know, it's, it's, there are techniques, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are ways mm -hmm. to do it in, in something like a camp, when you also have, you know, a big open night sky full of stars, um, you can make people see God. And, uh, you know, by the beginning of that, at the beginning of that camp, you can look at the kids and kind of, you know, you know, begin to interact with some of them. you could point out exactly the ones that are going to end up in the water on the last day. Oh, oh yeah. You, so there's an interesting, there's an interesting thing, uh, that is done there that, um, I, I, you know, like I said, discover the secret sauce all the time. Backwoods is one of these kinds of places where uh, you take these little kids and they do lots of things every day, right? They, they participate in lots and lots and lots of events. But there's always some degree of solemnness that, that carries through the entire week, right? Um, you could, if, if, you, if you owned a house on the edge of Backwoods Christian Camp, You'd never hear the kids screaming and playing, right? There's, there's, there's this, there's this code of of keep everything silent. Nobody even talks about it, right? But you do this thing where you're conditioning them um, for this solemn religious response, and that starts that starts from the moment of sign in, yeah, on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, there's a there's a build up. Uh, to a kind of an emotional crescendo. Uh, yep. And, you know, like I said, all camps kind of do this. Some some probably do it by accident and realize it. But uh, this is this is just a feature of camp, especially anything that's outdoors and nature-y. Um, it, it happens, and people form close bonds uh, uh, from these camps that often last a lifetime. Uh, Backwoods was great at it. I've been to a lot of camps and they're still, I still say they're one of the best, uh, at it. And, um, you know, there's a lot that, it, that bigger, more well-known camps could learn from backwards. But, uh, yeah, the, the yeah. point being well, right. there, there used to be a point, uh, to all of this. Now we're just going down memory lane. Um, this is one of the ways that theologically we're supposed to know that God is. And, and like I said, I don't, you know, you know, look at the sky and you see God kind of thing that I never had that experience. Apparently Andrew didn't have that, that experience in some unique, uh, way that couldn't be re reproduced in other ways. I, I, so once again, Paul can only be partially right 
uh, I won't say that other people don't have that experience, but I don't. Um, philosophically, how could, you know, how could we know that there's a God? If there's a God way out there, you know, beyond space, and we're way down here, um, that God could have some magical powers. Uh, you know, magic kind of throws Christians off a little bit. So some kind of um, special supernatural powers where he can communicate to you. Uh, I, I suppose that's not a, an impossibility. I don't, I don't know if it is or not actually. Um, but that may be one way that we know that there's a God because he, he communicates this to us in some ineffable manner. Does that, does that seem likely to you? I've been in this conversation uh, with with some of your uh, listeners uh, over on the Skeptics and Seekers boards in the past, where I will talk about this kind of thing with Quiet Crow, right? And and the the person I'm in conversation with, it's been different people over time. Uh, the person will say, okay, but that was God communicating with you. I know that you have been in the same conversation because I've, I've read the conversations you've had. Uh, here's, here's the funny thing. And this is, <laughs> sorry, it's, it's funny to me even now. If, if you know better that your God is communicating with me than I do, your God sucks at communication. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, yeah. if your God is talking to me and you can identify it and I can't, your God sucks at it. Right. Um, if, if my encounter with God is something I only realize after the fact, after I've talked myself into that being God, then it's, it's not a legitimate uh, knowledge of God, um, because we can talk ourselves into anything. We can talk ourselves into believing that we saw, you know, our dead uncle Joe. Um, you know, we can talk ourselves into thinking that, you know, someone abused us as a kid when that didn't happen. I am just putting that as, as an example, because it's, it's something that we know happens, uh, actually happens. Implanted or fake memories. Right. And so if after the fact, you know, we talk ourselves into, or someone else talks us into thinking that we encountered God. I don't really consider that a legitimate encounter. Uh, the biblical example I'm thinking of is uh, the, uh, those two guys on the road to Emmaus uh, after the crucifixion, and uh, they're walking along, and uh, Jesus comes along, but they don't recognize him. And uh, they have this conversation, they walk to where they're going, uh, and, you know, they stop and have some fish, and only after that, and then Jesus disappears. Only after that were their eyes opened, and they said, wait a minute, was that him? Yes, that must have been him. Didn't you feel the burning in your heart? You see, that's, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. They had yeah, this encounter with they had this encounter after you know with God that they didn't recognize until after he was gone and they talked themselves into it. Right. I don't today. Uh, I don't know, and I and I guess I didn't know then. And by the way, I don't care if you're a Christian who's going to say, "See, you were never a Christian because you didn't know." What the fuck ever. 
Um, there goes the clean rating. I was I was uh, really going for it. <laughs> no, no, no. You you knew better when you turned the mic on with me. <laughs> you weren't really going for it. You needed somebody that's not in our circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so this this idea that I can know God in in some capital K sense of of no. Uh, I had trouble with then, and I have trouble with it now. There are things that I know, um, and and then you, you get Christians will say, "But do you know that you know? Do you know that you know that?" Okay, shut up. Um, I have things that I know, and they are subject, all of them, to revision. It's. It, for me, there was some philosophy eventually in that, right? But this was this was sort of true from the beginning of my life. This is this is how we learn, right? Uh, something really simple. You, you start out and you learn uh, you learn how to spell some word, and you at some point you find, I oh, know I've actually been misspelling, right? Um, these kinds of things happen, and we have to have. We have to have that ability to to change what we have learned. We have to have that ability to revise. It it is built into. It is built into knowing. I you know we can talk about the philosophy behind this, but if you have a system of knowledge that doesn't have the ability to be revised in it, you will find that you will, uh, you'll be tripped up because you believe a thing and you didn't actually know it. And you don't have any ability to revise. And then you're trapped. You're trapped by a worldview that has an insistence in it about a part of reality that is just wrong. Okay, let me let me just move on to the last point of this first point. I promise <laughs> the other points will go faster because a, a lot of this will you'll be able to cut and paste into the other <laughs> things. Else we're on, are you? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this, brother. Um, okay. um, so I'm going to skip the census divinitatis. Uh, I don't think there's anything oh, theologically it. sound about, you know, some internal uh, sense of the divine. Um, I don't. I don't think. I don't think that that's biblically sound. Uh, the the Bible is full of people who did not hear Jesus' voice. He says, "My sheep hear my voice," and the reason you don't hear my voice, he tells Pharisees, "Because you're not my sheep." So if we all have the senses divinity taught us telling us that God is real, the Pharisees should have heard it too. Uh, so I don't, I just don't think, uh, you, you know, I've, I've done several shows in the sense of so I'm going to, I'm going to leave that there and I will go to the number one way that Christians say that, uh, or seem to think that they know that God is real. And that's because oh, it yeah, says yeah. so in a book, it says so oh, yeah. in a book. Um, I've read a lot of books that say a lot of things and, um, you know, I've I've read this particular book, the Bible, many times, and um, it definitely says that God uh, exists. 
in that book. But let me just tell you, if that's the way, if that's the main way you're supposed to know that God exists, how old are you uh, legitimately before you <laughs> get old enough to read the Bible for yourself and determine that God exists? That's that's quite a long time, and a lot of people never reach it. Uh, what about in cultures where the Bible is simply not a thing? You know, maybe uh, the Vedas are a thing or, you know, some other type of book is the thing that features some other god um what about those people uh the bible is a very complicated book uh it's uh, many genres over lots of years uh it's very hard to interpret it's you know some of the texts are quite ancient uh it's hard to interpret you need a degree a terminal degree to really fully understand the bible and yet somehow you know, we are supposed to know as kind of our main way of knowing that God is real because it says it in a book that even Christians don't read. And when they do, they don't understand it. Um, where, are you, well, where are you at on that? Well, okay. First, I want to talk about, just for a moment, the, the various kinds of literature found in the Bible. This, one, this one's an interesting one. I was asking myself as you were talking. If I were going to write a, a religious book, could I write over the subject matter that the that the Bible is trying to cover, which is which is basically all of human uh, human experience, all of the things that we can do right and wrong, how we should do the right things right, how to avoid the wrong things, and and what the ultimate purpose of it all is, right? How to how to hang our hook on the scheme of redemption. Okay, <laughs> that's a that's a tall ask, right? That, that's a that's a that's a big it's a big ask okay so i don't think that i could do it without lots of different kinds of literature when we when we look at other spiritual books they seem to have a lot of different kind of you know, they seem, seem to be different ways of of writing in them and uh and so it strikes me that while christians uh, have explanations for all of these different things and, and how they reveal the scheme of redemption. The same thing is true. These sorts of apologetics tools are open to any other uh, sufficiently developed religious book. Yeah, I just, even if we just stuck with the Bible, there are places in the Bible that make me question whether God is. Uh, to be honest with you, because the, the very people of God, the Jewish people, um, in the longest part of the Bible, uh, the uh, the what we consider the Old Testament, or the Hebrew Scriptures, there are huge chunks of time where God's people, quote unquote, God's people, mm -hmm. for, forgot he existed. <laughs> they just they just didn't know right. this God carrying was carrying away into Babylon. Why? I why mean, did that happen? This God was so absent from their lives that eventually, you know, ancestors didn't even know who he was. Um, and what this tells you, uh, it doesn't tell you that the stories are actually true, but it, it does try to kind of explain, I think, from the writer's perspective, why people in their history didn't always worship this God even though he was there from the very beginning. And the only thing you can say is, well, God was absent. He was an absentee father for large chunks of history where people had no idea 
that he existed or if he existed, what kind of God he was, uh, you know, was he like that other God over there? And he had to keep reintroducing himself and he had to keep smiting people. He had to, because they just didn't know he was there. And so I would say that if even in your Bible story, there are people who should, who should never be in doubt, who don't know he's there, then I would think that it's not really a good method of knowing that God is by just reading the book, because the people who were in the book didn't even know that he was. Right. So, you know, there appeared even all the way back to the Old Testament, right? And, And you've got God saying, okay. Well, today I'm just going to reveal myself by putting a serpent on a stick, right? And you're, you're being bitten by all of these these fiery serpents. But if you if you if you look at this little monument uh, that I had placed, well, uh, then then you'll be okay. Now, that apparently convinced a lot of people, right? I mean, that's, 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 that was a, that was a, a pretty good demonstration. So, so what's my point? Well. God doesn't appear to like to use the, the tools that are at his disposal that appeared to work. So maybe, maybe it is the case uh, that the Bible is sufficient explanation for some people, uh, and and maybe they're right. And maybe I'm just the kind of person uh, that needs water from a rock or uh, you know, th- I need to experience fiery serpents or or whatever, right? But but the point is that your God, people of the book, people people who are are now saying, but the Bible is sufficient. Well, I'm telling you, it's not. I'm not alone in history. Even among even among people who are supposed to believe uh, about this idea that I. I read it on a rock or on a page or whatever, and, and that's good enough for me. Your God is the kind of God who is uh, supposedly, <laughs> you know, if I, if I have to believe your miracle stories, well, he can intervene. He can he can just do this thing beyond the book. And I'm one of those people, apparently. So um, your God's the one with tools. Don't blame me. So as, I, as I'm as i kind of scrolling through this part, uh, and the people can kind of see me scroll, there was uh, this one little thing that I'll touch on before, before rocketing ahead through the rest of this. Um, Christians try to equate um, God's existence to love. Uh, and they say, well, you know, love is a thing that's, you know, not doesn't have any extension of space. So, I mean... God is the same thing. And in fact, the biblical writers see that knoweth not, loveth not God, for God is love. Is God love? Uh, it seems to me that no one has to actually prove the existence of love. We know what love is. We feel the effects of love. We uh, can even see the effects in the brain. Um, love is, is made in acts where we want other people to love us in their specific things that we do. Right. And so there's a reason that we don't have to prove the existence of love because it's something that we all experience as human experience. And love is just a word. You can, you can call it something else. We all experience that thing in some form or another, uh, in the same way we don't have to prove happiness, beauty, numbers, um, you know, these, these kinds of, uh, things that Christians try to argue for being equivalent to God's 
you know, somehow. But God is not love. He is not beauty. He is not happiness. He is not numbers. He is, in fact, a thing, a proposition that has to be proven because we do not all experience God the same way we experience beauty or numbers. So if we did, Christians might have a point in that kind of argumentation. They do not have a point with that argumentation. And I just, I just wanted to hammer at that a little bit. So I'm scrolling through, scrolling through people who want to. While you're, read while this. you're scrolling. Go ahead. We, we actually pretty well have written down in our societal laws what love is. Um, family courts. If you, if you are a certain kind of parent that is neglectful of your children, well, they're very, they're very specific things that we, that we recognize as neglect, right? And, and one of the ways that, that we would, that we might say that in a non-court setting is just that they don't seem to love their children very much because they neglect them, right? And, and we would shorthand all of, all of that stuff in the books. And just so they just don't seem to love their kids. Um, so what is, what is my point about love there? Well, love is a thing we do. It is a thing we do. Um, when someone goes out and has, uh, an affair, we, we question, uh, in, in certain parts of this country, we question whether they love their spouse. Why? Because the, the notion of adultery that, uh, that religion has given us suggests that you don't love your spouse if you're having sex with someone else. Again, something you do. And my point then is, if you have a God out there, there are things that it should do. And it is the very same things that we write down that we equate with a wholesome love, if, you, if you'll just... Oh, it just feels sort of icky, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. But there, we actually have a really good total definition of love. And none of it, none of it has to do with some God. It has to do with the way we interact with each other. And if you want to bring God into that picture and say that he is love, then as far as I'm concerned, that God has to act in a way that comports with how we otherwise understand love. Right. And so just to kind of add on to what you say, said by saying it in a different way, um, we can model love, um, right? If someone doesn't know what love is... Uh, and kids arguably don't know what love is. I mean, we can model it. We, we teach kids what love is uh, from their first day of existence. And, you know, if they get to be old enough to ask, well, what is love? Uh, which they will at some point, probably in school, in a class, when you're having a discussion, what is love? And then the teacher says, God, can you ever ask this at home with your parents? Um, but the fact is, we can model it. We can we can explain it with words. And, and we might need to use poetry for some of those words. We can explain it with words and we can show it a thousand different ways. Uh, we can uh, explain beauty. What is beauty? We can describe it. We can tell you what we mean by it. We can give you many examples of it. 
uh, we can show you what it means. We can model it. We can model happiness. We can show it. So when someone says, uh, what is God? Christians don't seem to be able to describe him. Uh, not in a way that makes sense, but even if you can get past the description test, there's no way to model him. Uh, show me God. Well, here's God. Just watch how I live in my life. No Christian can do that. Um, no Christian can give you an experience of God. Um, you know, you can give a person an experience of happiness by making them laugh and then uh, asking them to, uh, you know, be, be mindful of how they feel when they're when they're laughing and expressing this joy. You can you can help people experience these things. There's no way to do God in the same way as all of this. And so I, I just find it a, um, it, I don't want to assign bad motives, but it's, it's a mischaracter characterization to try to prove God in the same way that you talk about love, numbers, beauty, uh, that sort of thing. It, it, it simply doesn't work when you try to make it practical. On this show, uh, quite some time ago with one of your, uh, regular listeners. I had this conversation. This person existed, uh, that a God existed. And I, I said to your listener who was participating, I said, uh, I said, you know, if, if you, if you think so, um, and, and you think your God has the capacity to convince me, then, then just show me, we can, we can stop having these shows. We can put all of this to rest right now uh, by not confusing the map for the territory, right? You, you, you insist that, that there's this thing that exists and, then, and you, you've got this complex map about how it exists. But we should be able to push back and push through all of this mapping, right? All of this sin notion. That, and good and evil and yada yada yada. We should be able to push past all of that right to the characters and places that you say exist. I'm talking about your God and it's heaven or your devil and it's hell, right? It's time to stop confusing the map for the territory and just give us some plain and simple demonstration. Yeah, in a way to in a way to experience it, because apparently it's very important that you experience God for yourself. Um, and um, I don't have time to get into this, but one of the conversations we had uh, recently uh, on the board was, uh, well, I, I just don't want to go through all of it at this late stage, but you can't, you know, God has no reason to present Himself to you since you have state it publicly that you don't want anything to do with God. And so God is just honoring your request. Okay. I don't want to have anything to do with the God that you're describing. And if that is the God, if that's the God, your God, you're exactly right about that God, then maybe you're right. Maybe I don't want to have anything to do with him. Uh, but I don't, that's, that's, you know, other Christians don't agree with this person <laughs> on the characteristics of God. And so if God is maybe different than that, then uh, of course he should present himself to me. 
uh, in some way. There are lots of things that I said that I didn't uh, like and wouldn't want to try that I eventually tried and I liked. Um, that's fine. Or someone showed me or caused me to experience something that I didn't think I would like. And I turns out that I liked it. If God is the essence of love and it's something that you couldn't help but love if you truly knew him, it doesn't matter what I say that I don't like. Just, just show me the true thing that I would like. Show me that, um, but you can't you can't say that my ignorantly and and uh, brazenly saying that you know God is a terrible person and screw that guy is the reason he's hiding from me unless he actually is a terrible person. Right. So okay. So God doesn't reveal Himself because I don't want to have anything to do with Him. I've got a uh, I've got a little four year old. And no matter how old my child becomes, there will probably always be times, as long as I'm alive, where it will be necessary for me to show up even even when even when she thinks she doesn't need dad. Now, I will do those things. I'll show up when I think it's important. And I'll show up and and do good things. And if at some point she says, well, okay, Dad, I don't want you to show up anymore. Well, then we'll talk about that when it happens. But right now, kids... The situation that you find atheists in is not, well, dad showed up and I don't want to have anything to do with it. Tired of dad. That's not the situation here. The situation is you've got a parent that didn't show up. And of course, there are plenty of things that you're hearing from the atheist that we're not interested in. And and by and large, those things would be considered bad parenting if any parent did them. If I if I threatened to lock you in the garage and burn you to death, you'd think I was a pretty bad parent. I, by the way, I would I would be pretty yeah, it's pretty easy. Um, but you're insisting that there's a parent that isn't showing up for the ball games and recitals, and rehearsals. It isn't showing up to eat dinner or do homework. And you got to do better. Yeah. It is it's it is perfectly reasonable for a 16-year-old uh, who has never met their father because they ran out, uh, their father ran out of their family when they were born, uh, for that 16-year-old to say, I don't want to have anything to do with that guy. Screw that guy. It's also a part of the human experience that... Uh, that guy does show up and right. and apologizes uh, and, uh, you know, tells his side of the story. He didn't show up because, you know, his wife was uh, crazy. And she said that if you, if I ever see your face again, I'm going to kill my daughter. Uh, you know, something like that. I mean, right. just because the 16 year 
year-old has a good reason to say, I don't want you ever have anything to do with that guy. That is not, in fact, a good reason for her dad not to show up. Right. But, but this, is, this is pretty easy, isn't it? Here's, here's the easy part. If your God is good and your God's a good parent, then let's stop threatening each other with, with mom or dad or however you view your God. It, it's pretty easy because when a parent shows up, a parent shows up to untangle all of the, of the hurt and all of the misunderstanding and to do something constructive to set things right. That's, that's what a good parent does. Right. They're not always successful. But the children threaten each other with mom and dad. Oh, mom's going to spank you or dad's going to spank you or they're going to put you in timeout or they're going to, you know, whatever the, whatever the, the family uses as punishment. Okay. But it's not usually that way. The parents show up and they have adult tools for dealing with the situation. Right. And look, kids have all kinds of misconceptions about their parents. They, they misconceive how good their parents are. And they also misconceive how bad their parents are. And we, we learn those misconceptions when we become parents ourselves. Um, but oftentimes, you know, if you've got an absentee parent, uh, the child that grows up with the other parent gets all kinds of misinformation about the absentee parent. If we've got misinformation about God that we're working with, that's, that's more reason for the real God to show up and clear and clear it up. It's not less reason. We misapprehend who he is because of what we have been told by supposedly his agents. If we were told wrong, or if our brains are just so stupid that we understood it wrong, he has more reason to show up for us. Right. This is, this is supposed to be a good guy <laughs> in scare quotes, a, a good being, right? A good person. And, uh, and surely your God can show up with adult tools that children just don't have access to yet. Unless, unless, by the way, they they've got good parents introducing them to the to the tools of of problem resolution all along, right? You you introduce. I know I'll be done in just a minute. I promise, and then we we have some things to do together, don't we? Well, we've got some work to do today, and we've got some games to play, and yeah, we can do the games first. Um, give me just a minute and I'll be done. Okay. You want to stay in with me? Okay. You can. You, I love you. You heard it folks. This podcast only has one minute to go and this is what we have to cover. Just zooming through. Okay. Um, so look, uh, with yeah, the, let's, let's move on. Your guy can show up with good tools and, and simply assist us right. in the problem resolution. But, That's my point. But right now, uh, we, you know, even if there were ways to know that God is, uh, those ways don't seem to work universally. And uh, so that that's that point. Another thing, I'll look, I, I will skip over this in, a, in one minute simply because I find it annoying. But um, he is omni, uh, talking about the ontological characteristics 
of a God? How can you know that God is omni, all loving, all present, all temporal? Um, I heard that there were like seven omnis. I couldn't name them uh, if I tried, but you know, he's that all, all knowing dimension that, um, all of the omnis, God of the philosophers kind of thing. Um, I don't know if this makes any philosophical sense or, or not, but, um, the fact is if you can't even know that a God exists, how can you possibly know anything about his ontological characteristics? And it seems to me that there that there could be other sets of characteristics that would apply to some other type of God. So we're just talking about the God of the Bible here, but if we're just talking about God as in loosely defined, how we define God, we could define God with any set of characteristics. He has these characteristics and he doesn't have that characteristic. Uh, Christian God can't lie, but other gods can lie. <laughs> so, um, you know, you can, you can make up any characteristics you want to. How would you know anything about the ontological nature of a god? I don't know except to say that the ontological nature of a god would have to conform the, the things that I could know about the god, uh, about the ontological nature of that god, would have to conform um, to the ways that I would know anything about any ontology. Right. If if there's some if there's some part of God's ontological nature uh, that I just have to accept, then I don't actually know it. Right. It's it's just this thing. It's just it's just this thing that I've I have to accept without knowledge. And then in that sense, I don't know that aspect of this God's ontology. It is just this thing that that uh, that I am supposed to believe and say to this God, you know, because that's what the God needs. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to just uh, wave this past and say we can't know it. I mean, um, a God can be powerful without being all powerful. That still wouldn't make him not a god yeah. because he's not all powerful. A god can be very knowledgeable without being all knowing. Uh, a god can be good without being all good. He can be loving without being all loving. There's nothing about the omnis that naturally follow to say, well, you're not a god if you're not these things. You're just defining your god into existence at that point. And if right. you this is Clark's law, isn't it? Uh, any any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, right? Well, sort of a play on that is any sufficiently knowledgeable being is indistinguishable from all knowing. Right. And by the way, and even, how am I supposed to know? even the Bible does not um, uh, support the omnis. I mean, there are places in the Bible where it seems like God doesn't know some things or God can't do things, you know, like defeat opponents with iron wheels on their chariots and things like that. Um, there, there are all kinds of disconfirmations of this. Uh, so even theologically, it doesn't make sense. Even if there are places that do suggest that he is all powerful, all knowing, there are other places that suggest he's not. And so, I did. I it just doesn't seem to be something that you can know. It seems to be something that you can just propose. It's propositional, and it's not even knowledge. It's just this is how I'm going to define my God. He has to be all knowing, all loving, all powerful. Okay, great. You can define your God any way you want to. But that doesn't mean that you know that any actual God meets those characteristics. Um, right. And, and we seem to have all these excuses for why a certain amount of power um, wouldn't even be 
all powerful, right? There are all sorts of, of, of human conditions where we say, well, a powerful God could insert whatever task we need at the moment here. Uh, and the God doesn't, uh, the God doesn't do it. And then you have to invent a reason for why the God won't use his power to accomplish some, uh, some good end, some obviously good end. Let's just transition right there into God is good. This is the thing that Christians say that they know God is, God is good. Okay, great. I would say that there could also be an evil God. And so even if there is a God, you don't know that God is good. He could be evil. Uh, there's nothing philosophically, theologically, uh, or theoretically requiring a God to be good. And so for you to say that, you know, that God is good, you're going to have to say how you know it. We can read in the Bible and we can see, uh, uh, things that look like God is not so good. Um, you know, God tells us that we don't understand what good is. We're, our hearts are deceitful and desperately evil. Our hearts are constantly on evil all the time, and no one seeks God. And so our idea of good, in many cases, is evil to God. Um, so how do we know what God, uh, whether God is good or not? If we're judging it by our standards, then the, the Christian can say, yeah, but your standards can't judge God because you don't really know good. God is the one that defines good. Well, great. If God defines good, then everything he does has to be good uh, just because he defined it that way. Uh, that's like me saying everything I do is good. And if you don't think it's good, then you're wrong and you just don't understand good. Um, that doesn't tell you that I am good or that I am not good. You have to have an independent way of judging whether God is good. And if you do not have an independent way outside of God of telling whether God is good or not, then all you can do is take his word for it. Right. And if, if what you want me to think of as good is that I am trapped in a world of, um, uh, where, where lots of things go wrong that, that we call evil or bad or, you know, pick, pick your, Phrasing, I don't, I don't care what it is, but if your God has an excuse for it, and we're here, and it wasn't my fault, and it's it's the fault of of very distant relatives or the fault of my parents or whatever, I don't care how you define good. You don't use the word in in a sensible way that I understand, and I simply disagree about your God. Right, and, and if you want to have that conversation with me. You can come over to still unbelievable. Right. And it, uh, by the way, anyone who's thinking, oh, Euthyphro's Dilemma has been defeated. Well, no, it hasn't. I've read every variation of Euthyphro's Dilemma and all of the comebacks and uh, defenses and so forth. I, I think Euthyphro, at the end of the day, still stands up pretty well. But uh, it doesn't matter whether you think it stands up or not. The fact of the matter is, if you cannot independently judge whether God is good, all you can do is take his word for it. And if we only know that God is good, because it says so in a book, then he's probably not good. I mean, just think about that for a moment, uh, Andrew. If the only people, the only way people could know whether or not you were good is because it was written in a document that you were good, you're probably not good. Okay. <laughs> uh, look, I, I want, I want that job. Uh, Putin right now. <laughs> of course, he's 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 talking about how, how how good he is. Look, if a king decrees that he is good, uh, then he's good, right? I mean, there's no this, but if he has to decree he's good, he's probably evil. <laughs> So all I can say is I want I want that job, right? I can simply say that anything I do is good. 
And uh, and then, <laughs> by the way, I can order my minions to commit atrocities. <laughs> and 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 the funny thing is, the minions that commit yes, I am, babe. The minions that commit atrocities, they insist that the guy that gave them the orders to go and commit the atrocities. They insist that he's a good guy. Yeah, well, because they're not atrocities, because he says they're not. All right, God right. God wants things from you, uh, and he wants this, wants things for you. Uh, again, this is uh, pretty evil, uh, easy. Christians know that God wants things from you. He wants your worship. He wants your love. He wants your obedience. Uh, how do we know that? Well, it says so in a book. Uh, okay, it's not written in the stars. It says so in a book, and that's really the only way they can know that. And he wants things for you. He wants to give you things. He has a good plan for you, you know, a plan for good. God, excuse me, has a plan. How do we know that God has a plan? There is nothing in philosophy, um, uh, theory, uh, or nature or anything else that says that God has a plan. You know that God has a plan because it says so in a book. Uh, and so I think that we can shortcut this one pretty easy. Yeah, it's a long section of the writing, um, which I am scrolling through right now. But God wants things from you and for you. How do you know that? It's a real estate scam. This this is a real estate scam. Look at this this great new method of acquiring real estate that I have. And, uh, you can be rich and, uh, have your, have your heart's desire. And, and all you have to do is send $399, you know, to me right now. And I'll send you the home study course and you can be just like, this is a real estate scam. So look, let's fold this into, uh, the next one. You see how quickly we can go through these if we try god offers punishments and rewards i'm just going to fold this into the last one that god wants things uh, from yeah. you and for you um here's here's the thing uh, why should i believe that god wants to save me uh we'll just call it that his rewards why should i believe that he wants to save me from or for something for that matter uh he didn't mm. want he didn't want to save me uh from uh the pain and suffering that i've had in my life over 53 years and save me from any of that uh he didn't want to save me from bullies uh, when I had to learn how to fight in school to stay alive, to literally stay alive, uh, I had to learn how to fight like a maniac uh, and fight two or three larger uh, people who are much larger than me at a time in order to in order to survive. He, he didn't he didn't want to save me from that. Uh, he didn't want to save me from uh, the financial really tragedies that I've been through in life, both my fault and not my fault, but you know, he could have given me a better financial education as well, uh, which I simply didn't have. He didn't want to save me for any of that. Uh, and so he, he didn't want to save me from, uh, getting hit by a van when I wasn't doing anything. He didn't want to save me from any number of things. He'd want to save me from, uh, being legally blind and suffering the life that you have to suffer. I won't even go through it from having multiple handicaps. He didn't want to save me from any of that. Why should I believe he wants to save my soul that I cannot detect uh, from a future hell that I cannot detect or believe in and for in, uh, a life eternal in bliss that I have no reason to believe because he didn't even want to save me from the shit in this life? Right. Oh, look, I, uh, I have the same question. I, I have the same question. I don't have any good answers here. What is God? 
what is God saving me from? Well, you know, earlier uh, we, we talked about it. So he's trying to save me from hell. What is he trying to save me for? To worship him for eternity. Uh, I, I'll tell you, here's the thing your God could do. <laughs> there, there's an alternative. He could, for instance, and, and I would actually sign up for this. I'd, I'd happily sign up for this because I, I'm not interested in your God. Give me a world where we get to live lives until we no longer want to live them. And over the course of that life, we have uh, a, an ethical set of values where we get better and better. Maybe the world won't ever be perfect, right? Uh, but, but in the end, I get to live until I don't want to live anymore. And I can observe over the course of that life that things are getting better and better. I will trade your heaven for that future. Sure. And, um, yeah, saving you from death. Sure. Why should we believe that he's going to save us from a second death when he didn't save us from the first one? Um, it, it, just any number of things like that. Uh, he's a reward of those who seek him. Uh, the Bible says you cannot come to God unless you believe he's a reward of those who seek him. Well, I don't. Uh, why should I believe that he has any punishments? He didn't have any punishments for all the people in my life who deserved to be punished, and yet they thrived and thrived. Uh, this is just a this is just a silly idea. Uh, let me scroll through slowly so that people can read. Um, this idea that God is a punisher and a rewarder and that we could somehow know this and i have no right. idea how you would know it except that it says so in a book um god has a plan we have mostly talked about this so i'm going to mostly skip it uh long right up here um how do you know that god has a plan well it says so in a book let's just take the book out of it for a moment though and let's say that you philosophically uh, construct a a believable God. How do you know he has a plan? How do you know anything about that plan? How do you get yeah. that except by special revelation? I don't know. As far as I can tell, the plan that this God supposedly has um, culminates in less and less good. Right. So so the world has to get to to some uh, uh, to to some state where the maximum amount of stuff that can go wrong is going wrong before God just gets tired and says, OK, I'm, I'm done. I've, I've, I've seen enough evil uh, now. now I'm going to go collect all the pieces on the board that I like. And I'm going to destroy the rest of the board. I'm, I I don't see good in that plan. So we're down to the closing statement, and uh, I'll uh, I'll go ahead and let you have the word uh, last word. I will just say, uh, for me, let's just suppose that you can know that a God exists. Well, I don't. So, however, you can know it. It skipped me, and you can believe that I'm lying and say that I really do know it. But at that point, just fuck you. You know, we don't <laughs> we don't really have anything um, to say uh, beyond that. So fuck you, fuck me. Uh, have a have a great day. We're done. Um, but I I don't know 
that a God exists in all of the ways that Christians say that they know uh, has not worked for me, uh, right? They know that uh, because they read it in a book, a book that I find both bewildering and contradictory, and one that, if anything, suggests that no God had anything to do with it at all. Uh, so the book doesn't help me. Uh, how do I know that God is good? Well, I, let me look at the world that he created. Um, and I see people who supposedly bear the image of God, uh, who rape, murder, plunder, and pillage. Um, cool. Is that really the image of God? Uh, is, is that really the Imago Dei? Well, the, you have to say, no, that's not God. That's some other uh, force in action. Okay, so I can't then just look at the creation and see God. Take people out of the creation. I see stars dying. That's uh, what a nova is. It's, it's a beautiful death. Um, I, I see. I see animals uh, dying, being eaten by other animals. Is this the is this the order of the order of the day? Nature was red and tooth and claw long before humans came on the scene. This is the good creation. This is it. And when humans come on the scene, the earth is so created and prepared for us that we could uh, hit our head on a rock and die or fall and die or uh, go in the uh, water, which is 70% of this planet and die um, or, or just be eaten by something and die. Something as small as a tick that we can't even see and die. This is the good creation that he made. This is what I'm supposed to look at and say, oh, God, no, I don't see that at all. Um, uh, and so, uh, once again, I don't see what Christians see. I don't see his goodness. I don't see his, uh, his creative ability. Uh, I don't see, uh, his plan. Uh, I don't see his punishments when punishments are needed or his rewards, uh, at any level. Uh, I don't see that, uh, you know, what God wants from me, uh, or wants for me. And at the end of the day, the best I can say is I am completely agnostic on any of these questions because I have no way of knowing. And I think that if, uh, you know, there are people, honest people, I am an honest people who don't know, uh, the, these things about this God, then that is a good reason to actually believe he doesn't exist because surely a God would want people to know he exists. Look at the, look at the influence that you and I have. Uh, Andrew, and we're not superstars in this arena at all. Uh, but we've got a huge amount of influence. If we knew there was a God, we would use double our abilities to promote that God. Of course I would. But, but he hasn't, but he hasn't shown himself to us because we're not important enough or we're not enough of part of his plan. And so that's really all I can say at the end of the day. Agnosticism is the best that I can ride to. And agnosticism is just another way of saying, I don't know that it exists and I don't have any way of knowing. Andrew, you have the last word. I'll, I'll simply say that uh, the reason I'm an atheist is because to the extent that I can detect, there is no God. How, so I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm I'm not an absolutist in this regard. Maybe maybe your God does hide under a rock on another planet or or you know, whatever. Um, but I have not been uh, 
I, I haven't been without homework here. It's not, it's not as, as if I didn't take the challenge to go find God. I did. I took the challenge. I'm an atheist because everywhere I look, I don't see a God. And so I am an atheist to the extent that everywhere I look, I don't see a God. If you want that to change, you're not going to do it overnight. And your God has to show up. And if you want me to believe that God is good, that's pretty easy too. The kids are fighting in the playroom right now. And your God has to show up with adult tools and help the kids in the playroom not to hurt each other. This is easy stuff. And, and so now somebody's thinking, oh, why well, he's just being demeaning about her. That sounds so trivial or what? Well, to your God, it is trivial. Okay, uh, so when you uh, started your closing uh, speech there, I scrolled up to the top of the page and I started scrolling down um, through the document and I am almost at the bottom of it. And so I am just vamping until I get there. So if anyone wants to read the document, uh, you have access to it. Scrolled fairly quickly, but you have the ability to stop along the way and uh i thank you for taking the time uh out this sunday morning to um chat with me about this and help me process some of the things that have been discussed uh on the boards and privately and so forth uh we have a couple of uh just very quick announcements so clint uh hecock he hasn't said that i can mention this but i know he mentioned it on your show so i'm just going to mention it again uh he's got a book coming out uh on uh, baptism and um, I, I suspect it'll be very autobiographical, uh, so look out for that. We're going to have him on to talk about that real soon. And uh, uh, he's in August, I believe. It should be this month. Andrew and uh, Matthew just did a hundred episodes of hate. No, folks, that's the title of the show. Okay, uh, <laughs> my. Um, I had a I had a commentary that I wanted to give because I wasn't able to. Uh, to be on that show and maybe I'll just uh, write it out uh, sometime. Yeah, I'll just give it real quick. That's 30 seconds. Uh, my contribution to the hundred episodes of hate, uh, because a lot of people say that atheists are hateful and so forth and so on. Uh, at the very beginning of the show, they talked about whether they hated Christianity and Christians and they all said no, but here's the thing. I say, uh, yes, I hate Christianity. I don't hate Christians. And this is a, this is kind of the Jewish problem. Um, Judaism is so inextricably linked with three things. It's the nationality, it's an ethnicity, and it's a religion. And if you have linked every part of your identity to a religion, you haven't given people room to hate your religion. And religion is just an ideology, ideology and you should be able to hate ideologies uh, just fine. I hate Judaism. I hate it. I did say that I hate Christianity, by the way. Oh, okay, good. I'm sorry about that. So uh, I, I join you in the hate. Um, I hate Christianity, but what Christians do, and I did it too as a Christian, you, you so link that with your personal identity. Uh, this is a Christian nation. So if you hate Christianity, you hate America. <coughs> 
uh, I am Christian by ethnicity. Uh, I'm, I was born again in Christ, uh, and I'm Christian by religion. And so you, it doesn't leave anyone room to hate Christianity without saying, well, you hate Christians. Well, screw you. I do hate Christianity. I hate all religions. And your problem is that you have linked an ideology with your personhood. That's a problem for you. And uh, maybe you should consider that because I can't think of uh, any Christians that I hate. Um, I hate Donald Trump. He's not a Christian. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think he is. Uh, no, they've elected the mustache-twirling villain on the yeah. other side to be. <laughs> yeah, but if he, but if he's a Christian, then I hate him. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't hate Christians. I love Christians. Uh, some of the best people I know are Christians. The best life lessons I've ever learned were for, from Christians. So it's, it's absurd. My parents are Christians, um, and there are few people that I love more. Uh, it's, it's, it's absurd to say that we hate Christians. But if you want to link your ideology with your identity, then you create some problems. So, okay, there it goes. Uh, there we go. Listen to that episode, 100 Episodes of Hate. Uh, episodes of hate. Listen, uh, look out for the book from Clint Heathcock. There will be more information about that. And in the next couple of weeks, uh, we've got Dale. Uh, we've already done Dale's Lemon Premise argument. Uh, it's great. It's on skepticsandseekers.com. Just go there. You'll find it. Uh, it's under 4S. Uh, we're doing Dale's uh, thesis on uh, what I call uh, calculus for Christ, uh, or how you, <laughs> I've, I've actually called it a number of things, uh, but how you come up with uh, using kind of a, a Bayes-style mathematical approach to, Again. to justifying faith. Well, you know what? I don't think he's actually done a show on it. We're, we're actually going to talk about it. We're going, we're going... Uh, deep into it. He has even invited skeptics to come on the show. If you do, he actually called out Darren by name as being welcome to join in on the show. Uh, so oh, I'm just, interesting. I'm just mentioning it now. Skeptics and seekers at gmail.com. Send me an email. If you okay. would like to uh, either be on the show or be in the audience of that show, um, tickets are cheap. They're free. Just send me an email. Okay. Andrew, any, any, uh, housekeeping you need to do before you actually go do some housekeeping? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I appreciate you having me on this morning. I enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> folks, before you listen to the calculus for Christ show or, or, um, you know, uh, Bayes for Christ or whatever, just go out and uh and learn what it is you might even pick up brian blaze's book on probability uh he released it free it's on amazon uh b-r-i-a-n-b-l-a-i-s look up brian blaze's book on probability read it ahead of time because uh i guarantee you i guarantee you having talked to dale here the bodies are buried in the details or maybe the details are buried in the body. <laughs> well, look, you guys, you're just going to have to come on the show because if you just leave it with me and Dale, I'm going to get my ass handed to me because I'm not a mathematician. Um, and neither is he. <laughs> and, uh, he's, he's, he's closer to it than me. Uh, I can tell you that. Uh, and look, Dale, I want to be fair to Dale. He's done a lot of work, uh, on this. Sure he, has. he has, he has 
uh, done a lot of notable work and, it, you know, maybe hopefully it will get the attention of, you know, people in academia, which is where I think he wants to go with it. And, you know, he can, he can refine his, his thesis and themes and, and be successful in his endeavors. I, I have no problem, uh, with that. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take the most charitable look at it that I can, but I'm just telling you now, listeners, we're going to go over some stuff and you're going to think, how did you let that go? Well, I let it go because I didn't know any better. So why don't you come on the show and help me out? <laughs> so, uh, that's, that's my plea to you. That's coming up. I think the 18th, uh, whatever Saturday there is around that, uh, around that time, um, of this month. And with that, uh, we are going to call it a day. Thanks so much, everybody. And bye bye